right, good morning, everyone. It, um, it's really lovely to be able to, to share with you this morning. We are in Luke's Gospel, continuing our journey through Luke. We're in Luke chapter 10, and there's 13 verses, verse 25 to 37. So if you, if you have a Bible, you might want to, to open it up. We're going to uh, make our way through those verses um, this morning. It's, uh, it's funny, the things that you remember from school. It's also funny, the things that you don't remember. I was thinking about it this week. I, uh, I went to school, believe it or not, for, for 14 years. For 14 years. From reception to the end of year 13, end of, of A-levels, that's uh, roughly 38 weeks times 14. That's a lot of time. Uh, and I'm sure it was incredibly formational for me, but I remember very little uh, from that time, as in specific memories. But I want to share a very um, small little incident that I remember really clearly. And, and it's such a small thing, but it, it sticks in my mind. I was in Mr. Bolton's class, if that clears things up for you. Uh, I was with Mr. Bolton, so I was, probably, I was probably eight, although I'm not sure how old I was. And I have no idea of the context around this, but we were, we were given these maths books, maths textbooks to work our way through. And, uh, and I don't want to boast, but I was given the yellow one. So, so not everyone got the yellow one. Some people had the green one or the red one, but I had the yellow one, and, uh, and so I was perhaps feeling pretty good about myself. Um, and then the, the, I remember, this is where the memory comes in. I can remember, I remember what table I was sat at, I remember the book out in front of me, we're doing division, and I, I just can't do it. I, I, it just makes no sense to me. <clears throat> and, I, and I look at it, and I furrow my brow, and I sharpen the pencil again, and I just, I can't do it. I can't do it. I have, a, I have many faults, but, uh, but one thing I've always been reasonably okay at doing is asking questions. And, uh, and I asked Mr. Bolton if I could have some help with this. And I, and I asked some questions to him, and, uh, and he said, yeah, he could help me. And he took the yellow mask book off me, and he gave me a green one. <laughs> uh, which I was delighted about, because I could understand what I was being asked to do in the green one. It was exactly the right decision. Why, we, why am I mentioning this when we're talking about the parable of the Good Samaritan? He, here's why. Because when you ask the teacher a question, it reveals what you understand. When you ask the teacher a question, it reveals what you understand. And, and there's plenty of teachers here in the room. And when a, a child asks a question, a teacher is aware of, of the understanding that they have and, and, and then where to kind of take it from there. And the account of the, the, the Good Samaritan, we'll, we'll go through it, is kind of structured, is, 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 is built around four questions. And what I'd like us to do is just take a look at these four questions in the verses and, uh, and, and track what's going on. And, and just invite the Lord to speak to us through his word as we go through. Verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What must I do to inherit eternal life? This is how it all begins. We have an expert in the law. It might say in your translation, a lawyer. 
But either way, it's somebody who is uh, very intelligent and somebody who knows the Old Testament scriptures. So when it, if it says lawyer, it doesn't mean law, law as in the sense of, of kind of civil law, but, but the law of the Old Testament. So here's a, an intelligent man. He would probably have known large parts of the Old Testament, certainly the first five books, probably off by heart. He's an intelligent guy. And he stands up to test Jesus. Now, now whether he's testing him because he wants to see, Jesus, are you, are, do you take the scriptures seriously? Or, or whether he's testing him because he's genuinely inquiring, I don't know. But either way, he wants to, to ask this question. And in a sense, it's an excellent question to ask. What must I do to inherit eternal life? If there is eternal life, then it's an important question to ask, how do I get it? How do I not miss it? If there's eternal life, how we enter that life is going to be a really important thing for us to consider and to ask. And I just believe that all of us, in Inwardly, all of us recognize there has to be more to life than, than, than this world, as beautiful as it is, but as difficult as it is at times, there has to be more. We, we all have the question, where have I come from? Why am I here? What is the purpose of, of existence? What happens next? In Ecclesiastes, we read that God has set eternity in the hearts of men and we, we recognize that there has to be more. There has to be eternal life. But how, how can we get it? In one sense, it's a good question he asks, but in another sense, it's quite a strange question, isn't it? What must I do to inherit eternal life? I mean, he recognizes that if there is eternal life, it's something that God is going to give. But what must I do to inherit it? When we inherit something, what we inherit is, is up to the person who leaves it to us. It, it's entirely up to the person who is writing the will. Now, now perhaps, we can, perhaps we can have an influence on that. If, we are, if we're particularly close to a relative or friend, perhaps that's reflected in the will. Or perhaps more likely, if there's been a big fallout and it's all got a bit unpleasant, perhaps that's reflected in the will. But we don't decide. The person who, who, who's leaving the inheritance decides what goes on. So is that, is that, how, is that how this man sees his, his relationship with God? Almost like God is an elderly relative and you've just got to kind of work hard to keep promoting yourself to them that you might get, that potentially, possibly, you'll be given eternal life. Imagine how draining, how tiring that sort of existence is. To constantly hide away the bad parts of your life. Don't let them see in case that colors their view of you and you get left out of the inheritance constantly promoting yourself, saying about how good you are and all the good things that you do to color their vision. Is that, is that the picture of God and his people? Remember what we said, when you ask the teacher a question, you reveal what you've understood, what you know. And the question that, that is, is, is asked to Jesus, he reveals 
the heart of the expert in the law. Question two. Next, uh, next verse. Jesus answers, verse 26. What is written in the law? He replied. How do you read it? That is a brilliant response from the Lord Jesus. It's a great response. What's written in the law? How do you read it? He, he asks an expert in the law and he says, what's written in the law? How do you read it? See, Jesus isn't going to, to just kind of give the answer and allow the expert to sit back, fold his arms and give him a grade to see if he's got it right. But he does engage him. There is a sense of honour in it. See, there is something really important at stake here because there is eternal life on offer. And, and, and I think Jesus is more interested in, in the expert in the law understanding that. And so he engages him in it. And he, and he responds with this question. He opens him up to it. it it's, it's really brilliant. So he asks him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And the expert replies with two scriptures from the Old Testament. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. And Leviticus nineteen eighteen, Love your neighbor as yourself. Now the chances are that a lot of us in this room have heard those commands before. So, but let's not just rush past them. This is a high standard, isn't it? Love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. To love, to desire and do what is best for someone else. To do that wholeheartedly for God and for our neighbor. That, that's, that's quite a standard. Just, just think for a moment, kind of on the lines of, of what we were praying, just think of, of one neighbor, the person who lives on your right-hand side. Just, just think, think of them for a moment. If you live in a mansion, then go across the fields to the first house that you hit. <laughs> think of that one person. Think about what does it take to love them as you love yourself, to serve, to honour, to embrace, to, to not to give everything they want, but to love. What does that look like for one person? This is the opportunity, I think, for, for the expert in the law to say, that's, that's right, but I can't do that. I can't do it. I can't manage that. Jesus replies to him and says, you've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. This is his chance to say, I, I, I want to do it. I want to want to do it, but I can't. I can't, I can't reach that standard. But he doesn't. Question three, getting on to the parable. Verse 29, but he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? And who is my neighbor? It's at this point, I almost want to, to kind of break in and just say to the expert in the law, what are you hoping for here? What, what, what answer are you hoping to get? If Jesus said your neighbor, well, that's just the person who lives on your right and on your left. 
Are you still are you able to love them as you love yourself? Is that a standard you can manage? Before we've even got to love in the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind and strength. Jesus could could sort of dismantle him here if he wanted to. But he doesn't. He doesn't because it isn't an argument to win. It's something to discover there is eternal life on offer here. There is eternal life. There is something so significant, so special on offer here. And Jesus is more interested in, in him understanding it and engaging with it and, and accepting it than, than winning an argument. So he tells him this story. And the story begins in verse 30. A man going down from Jerusalem to Jericho uh, was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. So who, who is my neighbor? Who is the person I ought to love as I love myself? Well, it's, it's this man. And interestingly, we get absolutely no uh, indication about who he is. We don't know if he was a good man. Or, or a man who'd made lots of mistakes. We don't know if he was an old man or a young man. We don't know where he came from. We don't know uh, how rich he was. We get no indication of, of who he is. Jesus doesn't tell us. And he doesn't tell us because it doesn't matter. Here is a man. The neighbor who we're to love as we're to love ourselves is anybody who is in need who we have the opportunity to help. It doesn't matter about his nationality or how good or not he's been or his age or his, his wealth. In fact, even if we had have known those, the priest and the Levite wouldn't have known because all that was taken from him by the robbers. They stripped him. We, don't, we can't get a gauge of who he might be from his clothes, where he comes from, or, or what, what kind of wealth he might have. Or his accent, because he's half dead. All that's been stripped from him. It's been taken away. And so we have a man who is in need. Verse 31. A priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. It's cold, isn't it? It's cold, it's brutal. Well, I think what, what really stands out to me is that both the priest and the Levite see him. They see him. And they choose to pass by. There's a man in need. They see it. They have opportunity to help and they choose not to. And Jesus doesn't tell us why they choose, choose not to. We're not told why it is that they would see, the, see this man in great distress and, and pass over to the other side. Maybe it's because they're scared. If this man has been robbed and there are robbers close by, maybe they're still around. Walk quickly and get out of harm's way. Maybe it's they're scared because they don't know what to do. Scary, isn't it, when we don't know what to do? The older I get, the harder I find it to put myself in a position where I don't know what to do, where I'm not sure 
how it's going to play out. The harder it is to take that risk, if that's the right word, to go and see what's happening and offer to help when I'm not sure I'll be able to do it. Because it's a a risk and it's hard to put ourselves in that position. Maybe they're so used to a life in the public view that they don't have a sort of inner integrity or a a private um, comprehensive life anymore. I don't know. I'm sure that many of you have heard lots of messages on the Good Samaritan before. And often we think, well, if they were to go over and touch a dead body, then that would make them unclean for their service in the temple, which is true. But they're leaving Jerusalem. (laughs) Their service in the temple, if that's what they were there for, is finished. Whatever the reason, they see and they move on by. They probably knew there would be a cost, a sacrifice, an inconvenience. It's easy to be uh, it's easy to be very down on the priest and the Levite. I read a story uh, this week, and I think I might have heard it in the past as well. You you may have done as well, of a story of a, a group of um, people who are just about to leave seminary, so sort of theological college. So they're people who are just about to head into pastoral work, and uh, towards the end of their studies, their place where they're where they're studying. Um, does this experiment. I'm going to call it a bit of a trick, really. But they have to prepare a message on the Good Samaritan. And then they're going to go to this different place in the town where they are uh, into a recording studio because they're going to record it and they're going to play the best ones on the radio. And they set this scene up where outside the recording studio, there's these actors and, uh, and they're going to kind of feign to be in distress. They'll have a heart attack or something like that. And, uh, and then as the, as the student comes in, they have this decision. Do I go to somebody in distress or do I go into the recording studio? And every one of the students goes into the recording studio to share a message about the Good Samaritan. <laughs> I laughed at that too and I thought, honestly, honestly, what would I do? If I was on my way to church and I was, I was speaking that morning, it wouldn't take much for me to, to, to find a way to, to avoid helping somebody. And, and, and I just think it pictures, it pictures our hearts, really. It's very easy to see the need and to keep walking. Verse 33, But, but a Samaritan, as he travelled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, this is the third person who's come along, and he's seen him just as the other two have. But here's where everything is different. Not because he's a Samaritan, but this is where the difference comes in. As he travelled, he came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he took the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave it to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expense you have had. It's a surprising end to the story for those first hearers. Because the, the Samaritan is the one who comes and gets it right. He's the hero. And, and, and the, the, the Jewish people, the Samaritans, didn't get on. And we've looked at this in Luke already. 
so we'll not dwell on it. But the, the two people groups didn't get on, and with some good reason. So it's a big surprise that, that the Samaritan should be the one who, who gets it right. I, I guess it would be a little bit like if, if somebody was beaten up in, in Canforth, which I just hope doesn't happen, but if somebody was on the side of the road and then somebody came along who we might expect to help, and because he's not here, I'll choose Christy as an example. <laughs> and Christy arrives on the scene, sees him and crosses over and passes by. It could be anyway, it could be me. A doctor from Astry Surgery comes out. Somebody who you would expect to help, but crosses by on the other side, the mayor or whoever. And then somebody who we least expect, and it's a <laughs> risk to who you choose here, but <laughs> whoever you would least expect. I don't know, so a, a drug dealer in Canforth, I don't know, goes and, and is the one to help. It's that same sort of emotional response we have. But what makes a difference is that he took pity on him, or it might say in your translation, had compassion on him, or was moved by compassion. And that's what makes a difference, that the word compassion means, in here means like moved right in the inner sense of who you are. I think literally it means something like, Felt from, from his bowels this sense of, of need to act for in that context and that culture, just as we say our emotions come from our heart in this context, they felt like the emotions come from deep within. And, and, and so there's that sense of just being deeply moved. Compassion, somebody said, is sorrow for the hurt of others with an urge to help. Somebody else said it is the pain of love. But this compassion motivates him to, to go over. And what's interesting is that all the things that the priest and the Levite could have been concerned about are all lived out here. If they were concerned about there being a cost, then there was a cost. It cost him money. It cost him his resources. It cost him his time. It is an inconvenience. It does put him in a vulnerable position. If robbers are here and they've beaten this guy who's presumably fully fit and healthy, then if you're stopping to prop him up on your donkey and walk slowly out of there, presumably you're literally a sitting duck. Yes, of course there's a cost that comes with it. It delays him from his business. But the, the, the compassion he feels overrules that, overtakes it, is, is bigger than his fear. And so he, he goes, and this is what it is to love his neighbor, to see someone in need who you have the opportunity to help. Finally, the last question Jesus asks, verse uh, 36, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? And it's not a difficult question to answer. It's clearly the Samaritan. The expert in the law just about manages to say, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus says to him, go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. It's interesting that the expert in the law gets all his questions right. Well, how do I inherit eternal life? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus says. Do this and you will live. That's interesting, isn't it? Do this and you will live. How do I get eternal life? It's not something that starts later. It's something that starts now. Do this and you will live. 
And, and who, who, who showed compassion? The one who had mercy on him, go and do likewise. When you ask the teacher a question, you reveal what you understand. And it's not that the expert in the law didn't understand what he had to do, but he didn't understand that he couldn't do it. That he couldn't do it by himself. He needed a saviour. He needed somebody to help him. In only a little short time after this, Jesus would be leaving Jerusalem. And he would be stripped and beaten. Nailed to a cross and left to die. Jesus would take that punishment for for our sin. So that he could come to live within us. To do what we couldn't do by ourselves. He would come to change our world so that we, weren't, we didn't see God as a distant relative who we had to work hard to hide certain things of our life from and, and, and promote ourselves to so that we might get eternal life. But Jesus came so that we could know him. We could know his forgiveness. All that rubbish stuff in our lives could be dealt with, could be forgiven once and for all, dealt with, sure, And that there could be a security in our relationship with God where we are known by him, forgiven by him, where we become heirs and co-heirs with Christ. The difference is stark. When you ask the teacher a question, you reveal what you understand. And Jesus deals with the expert in the law in a beautiful way so that we too can learn from it. We learn uh, what, it, what this life of compassion is to look like. Who is our neighbour? Anyone who we see, who we have opportunity to help. And we realise that we can't do it by ourselves, but he comes to live within us to make it possible, to, to change our relationship with him, with God, to be from something like a distant relative who... We promote ourselves to, to a God that we know, a God we walk with, a God whose forgiveness we can enjoy. I'm going to ask the, uh, the band to come up as they're going to help us close our service together. And as they make their way to, the, uh, to their instruments, let's close our eyes for a moment. Heavenly Father, as we've been um, enjoying your word this morning, as we've been exploring it together, Father, I pray that by your grace, you'd be speaking to our hearts. Lord, is there, is there anything we've been thinking of this morning that, uh, that we just need to recognize? Are we feeling a bit like the expert in the law, just tired, tired of trying to earn your approval or or hide our mistakes? Lord, I pray that you'll you'll open our eyes to to the, the glory of your grace, the depth of your forgiveness, and the beauty of your friendship. The, the wholeness of what you did 
and the completeness of what you did it for us at the cross. Father, do we feel that association with the priest and the Levite? We see the need. It's too scary. It's too big. It it just requires too much. We're too scared. Father, I pray that in the in the in the gentle but but lovely and powerful way that you work, that you will um, um, help us to 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 grow in our compassion. Not to take on the burdens of the world, but but where there are those whom we see, who we have opportunity to help. Father, we we want to we want to be our agents there. Maybe we're more like the man who left beaten, and we're just we're just beaten. Father, I pray that we might. Um, that you might bring that good Samaritan alongside us, someone who is who is able to see and to respond, and that we might have the humility and grace to accept. Father, we thank you for your goodness and grace. In Jesus' name, amen.